0: Welcome to The Provcast, the regular podcast of Providence, a journal of Christianity and American foreign policy. I'm Managing Editor Drew Griffin. With us this week, we have a special guest, writer, author, and Southern Baptist pastor, Alan Cross. Alan is a prolific commentator on issues of religious liberty and immigration and uh, social justice, uh, writing in um, a a space that a lot of evangelicals um, tend to kind of avoid. It's it's one of the reasons why uh, we're kind of happy to have him on. He's the author of a book, uh, When Heaven and Earth Collide, uh, Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and the Better Way of Jesus, and he's also a New York Times op-ed contributor And so we are going to discuss uh, immigration today. So, Alan, welcome.
1: Hey, uh, glad to be with you, Drew.
0: Thanks. So um, I wanted to have you on, and I wanted to kind of um, uh, talk about several things, some starting kind of with uh, the news, and then I want to kind of back into kind of a a larger worldview and and how maybe uh, we as Christians in in this world kind of comport ourselves and and, uh, address the news of the day. Um, uh, earlier this, this week, uh, here we're in April. Uh, it was announced that uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kristen Nielsen uh, was resigning. Uh, she resigned uh, abruptly after a meeting um, with President Trump. The meeting was at 5 p.m., and by the end of the day, uh, he was tweeting out that she was uh, resigning and leaving her position. Which to me, uh, you know, kind of smacks of maybe the fact that she didn't resign as much as you know, mm. like uh, she was shown uh, the way out. Uh, this has uh, been, you know, her uh, departure is just one in a many. A series of events uh, that the Department of Homeland Security has undergone over the last several years that has has led to uh, a lot of confusion, I think, on the part of uh, people looking at the, the crisis at the border. And I think almost everyone is willing to admit if, if it wasn't a crisis when uh, Donald Trump assumed the presidency, which I would argue it really wasn't, Due to not only, I think, management of the border, but also due to external you know, effects of what's going on in Latin America and, and the upheaval there in a number of different countries, Venezuela and, and others, we are at a kind of a crisis point. Um, that the number of asylum seekers has increased, you know, an immense amount, literally hundreds of percent uh, since Trump uh, took office. And so the the administration in trying to kind of address this has um, thrown a number of things up against the wall to try and make it stick. And the wall that they keep kind of throwing up against is legality, right? Uh, And so Secretary Secretary Nielsen was uh, often criticized for implementing the kind of family separation policy at the border. And that was ultimately struck down by the courts, um, and yet there are and executive
1: order by President right, Trump yeah. As well.
0: And then ultimately, uh, Trump, uh, you know, kind of rescinded his own policy mm-hmm. um, and tried then to get kind of credit, saying, "I'm, you know, I'm reuniting <laughs> families, you know, families that he had divided by his policy." But um, and so, you know, when we look at this kind of confusion, and and you're in this space every day, and you're kind of down in into the weeds. Um it's, it's very difficult, I think, for a lot of us who are, are commenting on it and a lot of us who are trying to make sense of, of where we actually stand of um, what's, what's going on, like what is that, what's actually at stake uh, and what's actually happening on the ground. So can you, just from your perspective and the uh, existing uh, kind of at a, a much closer level to the, the fray, Uh, bring us up to speed as uh, your assessment of kind of like where we're at in in relation to Nielsen's departure, relation to the broader immigration policy, and uh, what we're facing right now.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a uh, gigantic task. Um, Yeah. And you've you've got some time, you're good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, it's really important that we have humility when we're approaching this. And this is something um, I was talking to you about before, uh, just the idea that you know, people who who look at this, you know, they watch a news clip, they read an article, they you know maybe studied a little bit, and they think they know what's happening at the border, or they think they know what's happening with the push pull factors of migration, and um, I. I think there's a lot of confusion in the administration. I think there's a lot of confusion on the border. I don't think we have a good plan or a good policy because I don't think we know what to do. And experts who are working in this space constantly are start trying to grasp and figure out how do we, how do we address this because this is different than what we've seen before. This isn't you know, young men in their 20s coming, you know, single you know, men coming and trying to find work, which is a lot of what was happening in the 90s. And we built a system. We built a, um, an immigration enforcement and, 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 and detention system that was built for single men. Um, Now we have families coming. We have parents and children. Um, You know, in uh, 2014-15, we had unaccompanied minors coming, and that was a different, you know, aspect. There are still some unaccompanied minors coming, but primarily the majority of people coming now are parents and children, and when the parents are coming with their children, we can't separate them. Um... You know, they aren't unaccompanied minors coming by themselves, in which case we were taking them because they had no parents with them at all. We kind of treated the families that way last year. That created a huge problem. There were court cases and and um, a lot of difficulty. So so we're in this new space where our system is not set up, and then mass numbers of people are coming because of, of conditions in uh, Central America. So all of that, uh, you know, it seems as though um, this is from constant observation and, and watching the administration from... Uh, before uh, Trump was elected in two thousand and fifteen, all the way to the, to today, the goal has been just keep these people away. They can't come in. We don't want them in. Um, but then, asylum uh, for those claiming asylum, our laws say that they if they. Uh, come in the United States, even if they come in illegally and they claim asylum, then they have to be given a credible fear test. Uh, the majority of them pass the credible fear test um, because of what they say is happening to them. Uh, President Trump has said it's a con job, they're making stuff up, you know, all, all these things, you know, that's his opinion. Um, you know, experts on the ground in Central America are saying there are serious problems and they're just growing right now with the cartels, corruption, crime. Uh, what you have happening is, is, is you have... Um, a police force that's not protecting peasants and and the vulnerable, and there's extortion. <clears throat> um, there are cartels making money off of you know bringing people you know uh, to the border. So there's a lot of there are a lot of factors that are going on, and you and you can't just solve it with a enforcement only approach, and that's the only approach that we seem to be taking. And so Secretary Nielsen, um, after what happened last year, um, she seems to have been trying to do what. The administration wanted, but she's constrained by the law as far as what she can do. And in communicating that to the president, that's where the friction... And it wasn't just on Sunday. Um, Apparently, this has been growing for months, um, and his frustration with her has been growing. And it seems to have come to a head as, as, you know, I think March we had over 100,000 or, you know, uh, 95,000 detentions and another uh, 10,000 or so um, that kind of could be considered in that group. And so he is upset about this. His campaign uh, promises were that he was going to shut down uh, you know, people coming, uh, what he considers to be illegally, even though it's, it's legal to claim asylum. So they're actually coming according to the law. They are coming the right way as far as coming and claiming. It's not something that we were really aware of when, when the whole kind of anti-immigrant perspective developed, we were used to, again, you know, 20, 25-year-old men coming by themselves just looking for work. This is a different situation. So the framework that a lot of people have is, oh, they're illegal, they're illegal, they're coming illegally. And that's, how we, that's how a lot of Americans see it. The law actually says it's legal to do what they're doing. And so you would have to change the asylum laws, which Congress would have to do, which we have a very divided Congress. And, and politically, that's probably impossible at this point. And so the president is frustrated because he can't enforce what he wants to enforce, which is that they don't come in, because the law says they can. And so if you're talking about rule of law issues, the law is on the side of the asylum seekers being able to present themselves. The president's goal is that they not come in but he can't legislate. He has to execute. So we're, we're getting into a constitutional issue of, and then the way that he's approaching the law is he's, he's metering at the points of... of uh, of entry, um, there's some points of entry where it's just twenty or thirty a day are getting the interviews, whereas it was a lot more before. So the migrants are coming,
0: and that's due mainly to a staff shift away from the uh, you know the border into a, like deeper. Like, haven't they reassigned staff
1: and moved staff like deeper into the system? Or yeah, there's some of that. Um, I actually they were. Um, uh, Recently, uh, Border Patrol was moving staff from the interior to the border because of the numbers of people. But it's just about how you allocate resources. And it was a definitely a, um, a decision that's been made to meter to slow it down um, so that they don't get through, um, and w- which then created uh, uh, the migrants going around the border and finding other places to enter because once they step foot on U S soil, they can claim asylum and then they have to be processed uh, through the credible fear test. Um, and then, and then once they pass that, they're released, you know, uh, into the interior. So I've got, um, uh, friends who pastor churches and you know things like that in Phoenix and other places and 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 they're working with ICE. ICE is actually bringing migrants to church parking lots and dropping off 150 at a time, and then the churches are taking them in for a couple of days before they can then go to other places. So this is happening all over the Southwest. There seems to be a, a shift in policy more towards what we see happening kind
0: of internationally abroad, like in Syria, for instance. Uh, people like internationally who are trying to apply for asylum who don't. Uh, Um, exist in states that are contiguous with the United States typically are are told, you know, all right, apply for asylum at an official, you know, location. We're going to process your claim, you know, hang out in Syria, hang out in Iraq, hang out wherever you, you know, try and stay alive. Right. Yes. Yeah. Refugees. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That happens
1: a little bit differently where they go into UN camps. And and so there are hundreds of thousands of refugees and then they're selected. uh, uh, I mean, they can't apply for refugee status in the United States. It's this whole process. And, um, you know, they would be identified, well, maybe they have a family member or or there's some reason why the United States would be chosen over um, over other countries. And then they have to go through a whole process. It's like 18 to 24 months. but, But... but that whole system has been basically deconstructed to where now we're we're scheduled bringing about around twenty three thousand this year um, if the year continues the way it has. And so the whole refugee resettlement process, um, you know, with um, agencies like World Relief who work with evangelical churches, um, you know, they're having to cut staff and close offices because the funding isn't there because the refugees aren't coming. You know, it was it was eighty five thousand a couple of years ago. And so, um, so while. And the, uh, and the president can control that. He does set the number. So legally, he's able to reduce that, and he has. Um, everything that he's been able to, to reduce on the number of, of immigrants and refugees coming, he has done all that he can on that. This at, the, at our southern border, because of the asylum claims, is something he doesn't have control over. And so that's where the friction came with Nielsen. He's just seeing the numbers coming in. Um, he's expecting her to stop it. She's constrained by the law. And so she won't do what he's telling her to do. And so that uh, led to her resignation. Right.
0: And so it, it appears that he's trying to find someone, someone in the administration to kind of uh, enact uh, his policies. Currently, I think the, the acting head of the DHS, as it's been announced, um, is going to be uh, Kevin McAleenan. Uh, who's now the current, uh, you know, Customs and Border Protection Commissioner, uh, who seems to have a reputation. You know, he's been in, uh, you know, a variety of administrations. He's really been there for about 10 years. And uh, so in the Obama administration and now into the Trump administration seems though to have a reputation of trying to implement uh, you know, President Trump's policies as best you know can be implemented. You we're know, taking the, the impossible task of, of uh, what sometimes Trump wants to get done and uh, that's being inhibited by the law, of finding some way um, to do it. And what's unique, and, and this is the case across many of the departments in the Trump administration, when you have acting, you know, acting heads of, uh, you know, defense, acting head of uh, DHS is, is their acting heads aren't, con- you know, uh, constrained by the same oversight as as actually, uh, you know, um, and they aren't confirmed by Congress, right? So, yeah, exactly. yeah, they're not conf- They're not uh, confirmed by Congress. Uh, they're not uh, subject to uh, oversight. I don't even think they can like even testify uh, before Congress. And so it's a uh, uh, but then they're totally under you know control of of the president who says, you know, you jump, they
1: jump, and is there's a, is it five or six now? How,
0: uh, yeah, I can't keep yeah, track yeah, yeah it's yeah. Probably, it probably will change between now and then and i I don't want to you know like pile on the Trump administration because it's it's difficult to uh, there are these are difficult problems in this sure. a difficult time it's it's sure. not you know uh it's I, I have an appreciation, and I want you know our, our readers to have an appreciation for uh, the fact that there are there are, are real truths and real issues here that uh, demand attention, and um, I think demand a certain level of um, uh, you know strict interpretation of law and and implementation of law. I mean that's a, that's a Christian. Uh, uh ethic, and uh, respecting the laws of Christian ethic. I think uh, respecting national sovereignty is is part of I think the the Christian realism ethic that that we try to articulate here at Providence is the idea of like a nation has a right to have borders and have sovereignty and dictate who comes in and who doesn't and and how that society is is construed and kind of constructed. I think that's a, a biblical understanding of nationhood. I think it's a a right. Uh, way to help maintain the kind of cohesion of a culture. So, I mean, there are there are real issues here that we're having to contend with. But I think what um, you know, I want maybe to talk with you about a little bit and, and get your perspective on as a pastor, right? As a man of, of of faith, someone who is is not only charged with maybe you know making sense of the policy, but also dealing with the people involved that the, the policy is addressing. Of um, you know, trying to balance this. Um, uh, impulse to have national security, to have an, and protect national sovereignty, uh, with the fact that these are, you know, living, breathing people who are made in the image of God, they have inherent human dignity and worth, and they're not just chattel. And, and you know, there they are criminals out there, there are people, there are drug dealers, there are gangs, there are cartels, like it's not... Saying that every person who tries to set foot in the United States is is an angel, you know, and and you know, uh, devoid of, of uh, sin or anything like that. No, obviously there 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 are bad actors, uh, but there seems to be, and, and maybe you can speak on this, a lack of um, discernment uh, that our legal system, I think, can apply, uh, but in part of the administration, there's a lack of discernment as to separating out the the good from the bad, right? I mean, yeah, all right you know, screen out people who, who are bad, don't let them in. But if you're a family and you're you know, a husband and a wife and you got kids and your house has been burnt down by, you know, uh, um, uh, Nicolas Maduro, where are you, you going to go? Right. Like, what are you going to do? And you want to come to the United States? Is that a bad thing? I'm I'm the offspring of immigrants, you know, uh, a couple generations down the line. Um, my ancestors did that, and they came to this country and, and viewed this country as a uh, land of opportunity. They faced all manner of cultural, you know, upheaval and pushback uh, within their own uh, culture, coming to, to New York. Um, But they came to America for a specific reason. So, I mean, help us look at uh, the balance that has to be struck between the the apprehension of the the rule of law, but then also the application of that
1: to, like,
0: real people.
1: Yeah, and this is where I think history is helpful, too, because, you know, a family... Uh, at the border, a father and a, and a child, a mother and a child, a, a husband and wife together, you know, those types, of, you know, with with children, that's not, by definition, a national security issue. That's a humanitarian issue. And so we separate those things out on purpose. And we do that because um, uh, because we recognize that the movement of people is often caused by, can you know, conditions outside of their control. And so if they stay, they could die you know there's devastation so America has been especially since World War two and, and and to understand the whole evolution of America's asylum policy you have to go back to World War II when we were turning away Jews who were trying to come here and then by the time that we got to the death camps and the concentration camps and we saw what had happened there was a there was a national outcry and as a nation, we said we can't do this again, never again. And so we changed our laws and we made a way for if we're ever in this place where people are fleeing violence and persecution and those types of things, they can come here and they can apply, and we're not going to turn away. Um, what was the name of of, uh, of the boat? The St. Louis. Yeah, yeah the St. Louis. Right. You know, we're, you know, we're not going to do that again. Um, that's as much a part of the rule of law as. Um, you know, reading it right now and just the letter of the law and um, and interpreting, well, people can't come because, you know, they have to, you know... Um, you know, go through this whole process, and and they're circumventing the process. Like, that actually happened, and as a nation, we said, this is wrong, and this isn't who we want to be, and so the fabric of our country changed after World War II because of that. Well, now we're trying to undo that, and, th- and it's a very intentional approach to say that the post-World War II order, you know, globally, internationally, all these agreements, alliances, and even the way that we see the suffering people around the world, that is what is being confronted through this. Um, as Christians in America, that's a conversation we need to have the very character and fabric of our country and how we see the vulnerable and how we see the suffering, and people who might come to our shores or come to our border looking for help, we're talking about changing how we see that. And the Church should should speak, you know. Um, if someone's a security threat, if they're a terrorist, if they are coming to do harm, obviously we don't want those people to come in. There should be a process of vetting. We shouldn't allow, you know, just anybody to come. But but what do we do with the weak and, uh, and the vulnerable? And this is where scripture does speak, um, you know. Uh, The idea of of God's character being revealed on how we see the Sojourner, or how ancient Israel was was told to to see the Sojourner. Is that U.S. policy? Is that something that we should just overlay? No, but as Christians, God's character is revealed to that, and that helps us to see people who come to us looking for help. And so it should affect just our our own perspective on it, you know? So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think a lot of things, um, you know, one election, uh, voting for an administration, that there might be lots of good reasons to support Trump for, you know, for different things that people People have, but that doesn't mean that that you know after November sixth or eighth <laughs> um, I guess it was the sixth uh, after that election, then he just has free reign to do whatever he wants, and then we sit back and never say, "Hey, wait a minute, So let's slow this down. The law exists for a reason. Let's look at these people and let's consider how we deal with this. We have a foreign policy for a reason. We, you know, we have you know you know foreign aid that we give to these countries for a purpose. It isn't just to throw money away. It's to keep these countries stable so that these you know, things don't happen. Maybe there are ways that we can address, you know, root causes and things like that. And as a, um, you know, as a pastor that's engaged in um, mission work around the world and development work around the world and in our third world countries, and this, you know, it's another area that the church can step in and say, what can we do to help stabilize? How can we help, you know, um, you know, bring aid to places um, where there's need, you know? So there are a lot of things that we can look at. There are a lot of approaches that we can have. Taking a security only approach um, and just saying, well, those people can't come here uh, doesn't even fit with Um, American history or the rule of law, because we have other laws that say, well, some of them can legally. And so how do we see that? And that's the conversation we're having right now, and that's why we have to step away from some of the rhetoric and actually look at the situation.
0: It seems like the rhetoric, though, is is what gets the attention. I mean, it it's does. obviously what's get, what gets, that gets the headlines. And so this is one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, in the space that you're in. Uh, you know, How often are you sitting there watching the news or watching the news feed of, of either Fox News or MSB, mm-hmm. MSNBC or whomever you're listening, um, uh, Listening to that, you're you're seeing things reported on. You're seeing, seeing statistics um, that are used to fan the flames of this this rhetorical debate and kind of get you know talking heads uh, red faced on on television on different kind of panels. That you you see these facts and figures. You're like, that's not really accurate. That's not really true. Or it's not really like that. I mean, where where do you see and and how well do you see the media in their role of actually reflecting the reality of
1: of what's going on? yeah it's 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 very poor um it's the it's the media it's also the commentators it's uh representatives of the the administration it's uh it's it's congressmen i mean uh i have contacts on the border i have people that i contact you know in central america if i want to know what's going on like actually i will text a friend and say, okay, what are you seeing? And then I know where to read, I know the sources to go to, and I regularly see uh, things represented that just aren't right, you know, you know they're inaccurate, or and it might not be that the person's doing it on purpose, I don't always know that, you know, this is the information that they've been getting. I've met with congressional offices, I've met with congressmen, who told me, well, we were told this by DHS. I'm like, that's completely false, and here's the proof. I mean, we literally have administration officials briefing Congress and giving them bad information. Is that on purpose? I don't know. Is it? Is it so much information? Flux that they don't even know exactly what's going on? Are they getting reports from, you know, from, uh, you know, a border patrol or agents that are only part of the picture and then they interpret that politically and then they represent something? That's why I'm saying anybody who thinks that they absolutely know what's happening and they can speak, you know, uh, convincingly of that usually is only looking at one part of the story. And so that's why you have to step back. You have to listen to all sides. You have to investigate. I've been to the border a couple of times. I'm going again at the end of April um, to see what's happening there. And I'm talking to people there all the time. And even still – Uh, the truth one week might change again in two weeks because you might have a different flow or there, you know, Mexico does something different or something happens in Guatemala. And so, man, we need experts. We we don't need talking heads. We don't need rhetoric. These are human lives. These are real people. And we need people who actually are doing the hard work of figuring this out and then developing policy that addresses it. And the church's role doesn't change, though. The church's role is to minister to people in need. And so that's something that we can do um, apart from all of the constantly moving parts. And I think a lot of Christians in America, we get so tied up in, well, what about this policy and who's doing this? As though our opinion, it's important. I mean, we're Americans, but it isn't... um it isn't conclusive on what happens, but we can support our church. We can say, what can we do to help a church that is in El Paso or that's in you know, McAllen or something like that, that is doing work every day with, with human beings? If we would step in and engage there, one, we'd know a lot more about what's going on because we'd be going. We'd have constant flows of information. We wouldn't be getting it from the news. That's often, I don't want to get into fake news because I don't, I don't know that they're always doing it on purpose. That includes Fox News as well as MSNBC. I think they're presenting the view that they're kind of exposed to. A lot of them. Some might be lying on purpose, but I can't know that. But if we, the more that we engage in, in, in ministry, the more that we understand. I mean, I went to India ten times over over a decade. I understood what was happening in India because I'm sitting with people who were there. Um, you know, so engage in mission, love your neighbor, welcome the immigrants who are coming in your community, talk to them. I mean, I uh, there's a pastor in Montgomery who's from Venezuela. I sat down and, and did a recording and a conversation. I learned all about, because he's totally tied into what's happening with Maduro and Venezuela and that whole thing. And I learned stuff that I haven't heard in the news. But then I did some investigation, and then I said, it's true. And I was able to back up what he was saying about influence from from, uh, Cuba and from Russia and places like that with what's happening there. That's a real issue we need to look at. But I learned more from that pastor from Venezuela than I have learned from... However much I've you know I've seen on cable news, so as Christians who are engaged in this and we care about this, do some work, find out who's in your community. Um, it's it's harder than it's harder to understand what's going on than you think it is, and if you think what's no and if you think you know what's going on, you probably are ignorant to uh, the vast majority of the of the of the forces at work.
0: So we're speaking with Alan Cross, who is a uh, a writer, an author, a New York Times uh, op-ed contributing uh, writer and an SBC pastor talking about immigration and talking about um, uh, the Trump administration and their immigration policy. Alan, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to maybe delve into the theology just a little bit and kind of get your perspective, and um, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to The Provcast, our regular podcast of Providence, Journal of Christianity and American Foreign Policy. I'm managing editor Drew Griffin. We've been speaking over the last 30 minutes or so with Alan Cross. Allen is an uh, pastor of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. He's a writer. He's an author. He's a New York Times op-ed uh, contributor, and uh, he writes in the space. And we've been speaking on uh, the, the topic that motivates much of his writing of, uh, uh, you know, uh, immigration and uh, immigration policy and the application of uh, you know social policy through immigration and and how the rubber meets the road really when it when it comes to uh, policies when they begin to interact with people coming into the United States and. Uh, Alan, I want to get into a little bit of a, a theological discussion since we're a journal of Christianity and mm-hmm. um, American foreign policy and, and you're a, um, a trained uh, pastor. The road I want to take uh, to get there goes through uh, some statements that the president has made recently after the departure of Kristen Nielsen, uh, one of which it was a kind of a blanket announcement to all migrants and asylum seekers, people coming up from the um, South America and Latin America saying basically, quote, "Illegal immigration, we can't take it anymore, our country is full, the sector is full, we can't take you anymore, turn around, that's the way it is, unquote. And it's an interesting argument, and uh, it's one that I, I have a hard time seeing justified by the facts. I mean, it's obvious, maybe it's an opinion, maybe it's a wishful thinking, uh, but uh, Ian Brimmer at the Eurasia Group, Eurasia Group is an organization that we engage with some here at uh, Providence, Um, uh, Ian Bremmer, you know, tweeted out uh, not long after that, this long list of countries and statistics that the ratio of national population to land area, you know, and so even just technically speaking, even if, you know, President Trump was using kind of hyperbole, the United States has like 36 people per square kilometer. Uh, You know, you could compare that to Germany or the UK that have over 200 people per square kilometer. And so so geographically, in terms of demographics, we're nowhere near full. Maybe that's not what he's talking about, but if that's not what he's talking about, what is he talking about? Like what? What I want to get into, and in, and in the the theological track I want to take here, is while respecting national sovereignty and respecting our borders and the and the rule of law, like what is what is the main threat here? Like what is the main threat to immigration? We're not, you know, I often find that if we are the richest nation on the planet and we are, we have the most resources, you know, with that. Comes an immense amount of responsibility, and it's a responsibility of global leadership that we either uh, engage uh, globally and lead, or others will. Those others will be China. Those others will be Russia. Uh, there are other actors out there that are willing to step into global global leadership roles, but no, the United States, you know, most uh, wealthy nation, most you know um, advanced nation, uh, one of the the freest nations on the planet. We have a, a duty and a responsibility to. Uh, uh, you know, have those values proliferate out uh, through the world by our actions, by our policies, um, why can't we take more people I mean what what is the argument what are we what are we afraid of are is our system going to be overly taxed uh, you know statistics show that immigrants typically are harder working than than um, you know uh, people who are native born here uh, politically it looks like they're more conservative they're going to be tend to be more conservative so what what is the danger and where do you think without trying to get too much into the psychology of Donald Trump and inside his head because you know it's a place I just don't think we want to go and we can't. Um, what's the danger? Like, why, why push back? Where, and this is just maybe your opinion and your assessment, but help me kind of make sense, because it seems to make no logical sense to me from the, the direction in which they're approaching it.
1: Yeah. Um, Mindy Bells at World, at World Magazine, she uh, had an article that came out, I think, yesterday um, called How Full is Full?, and uh, she addresses this, and I just want to read the last paragraph to you from that. She said, I see Christians everywhere at work in the trenches of conflict and along the migratory routes, binding up wounds of war and looking for ways to rebuild shattered communities. Yet in America, many are far from speaking or acting prophetically, paralyzed perhaps by the political divide, intimidated by callous rhetoric when it should move them to resolve an action. And uh, I think she's hitting a really important point there, that globally, uh, we saw this with uh, with evangelical churches in Germany, um, with Syrian refugees coming, and they open their doors and they welcome them, and um, uh, Poland and you know uh, places like that, and, and so now we see Syrian refugees becoming evangelical pastors of churches, and and uh, quite a few Muslims became Christians there as the churches opened their doors, and just this different perspective there. Um, and while there was a problem for a while, actually things are are are. Are evening out and, uh, and uh, getting better. And that's also happening um, in, the, uh, in the United States. I was just in a, a, a town... Last week, Alberville, Alabama, um, This American Life did a two part series on that um, last year, which is really good. I highly recommend it. Um, where Alberville was like an all white town in Northeast Alabama, and about 15, 20 years ago, uh, had mass influx of, of uh, Hispanic workers from south of the border who came to work in the poultry plants. And it caused a lot of up- uproar and, and disruption. Jeff Sessions, um, actually, his anti immigrant perspective came from Alberville and saw what was happening as blue collar workers were kind of pushed out a little bit. But you go to Alberville now, and the city's doubled in size. The Tax base is, is as far increased. Uh, the Main Street area that used to be boarded up businesses and you know boarded up windows now is thriving with coffee shops and and uh, clothing stores and everything, restaurants, all that. And I met with a group of pastors there, and I asked them. I said, you know what happened here over the past 15 or 20 years i said alberville is a much better place to live we're we're figuring it out we're learning how to get along you know the high school is 50% hispanic 50% white or you know and they have haitian immigrants who've come and this is it's like a ma- massive success story in alberville alabama in northeast alabama most conservative trump country everything you know so the whole idea that we have to fear these people that is only true if we withdraw from them and, and pull away. Like, the fear creates the problem, right? If you embrace them, and if you do the work that we're commanded to do in Scripture, which is to love your neighbor and to welcome the sojourner, and, and you know, hospitality, which comes from Xenia in the Greek, which means love of the stranger, that you're actually to go embrace them and welcome them in and bring them in. Jesus commands that in Matthew 25. If we do these things, they're will often be a good result in our communities. And I'm not even talking about just even the church. I'm just talking about as a general principle. Um, People come, they are fleeing violence or or poverty or difficulty, and they come to work. And they work hard not because they're... DNA is better. They work hard because they're, you know, they've left. I mean, I mean, the same reason our immigrant ancestors, you know, left, you know, mine was uh, fled Ireland during the potato famine and Germany after the revolutions of 1848. I mean, that's like two branches of my family. That's when they came, right? And so they got here and they went to work because they couldn't do it there. And so now we can succeed. That's the same mentality that immigrants have here now. We should be embracing them. I mean, they are more conservative, they are often religious, they are often our Christian brothers and sisters. But this idea that they're a threat to us, and where does, you know, where does that come from? Um, Obviously we've had terrorism and things like that, so there are legitimate concerns that we should have. But I think a lot of it comes from just a lack of imagination that people who aren't from here, maybe their skin color is darker or they, you know, have a different worldview that they can't connect with us or relate because our view is the only way that works. And historically that's not what America is. America has received people from all over the world and we've, we've done better than France and Germany because you can come here and actually become a part of us and become citizens. Whereas there, you know, um, it might take generations or, or you're always considered in a different place. So that's America itself. And, you know, Ronald Reagan spoke to this repeatedly in his city on a hill, um, you know, metaphor that he used, and uh, I mean, coming into office and leaving office, he said the same thing um, about America as a city on a hill, and 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 for the world to come here as a beacon of freedom and hope, and um, you know that inspired me as a kid. You know, you know, hearing that, but but theologically, I'm inspired by by God's heart for the nations and God's heart for people, and and stepping away from the security conversation. Um, and the, and the and the borders and things like that. Yes, we have laws and we should have regulation, and there should be every nation has a right to determine who comes and goes and all those things. I, I agree with that completely. But as an American, you know, whenever we like apply Romans thirteen for for example, and say that we should submit to the authorities and and we should have respect. That was you know Paul writing to a fledgling to a small fledgling church where Christians had no role in government. And there was an emperor, and the emperor was evil, and he was and he was saying submit, you know, because. Uh, because the state bears the sword for a reason to punish wrongdoing. That's true. We agree with that, and we should respect that. But in America, um, we the people, we are able to speak into the process. It's a very different governmental system, and that's on purpose. And we have this responsibility both to vote as well as to speak and to advocate, and we can talk to our congressmen, we can talk to our senators. We can run for office. We can yeah. run for office, that's right. right. And, as, and, and so as Christians, we're in a different place. If we If we think that our laws are not just, or they're not working, or they're not considering the plight of, of, of families and children and things like that, clear biblical principles about how life should be ordered, if we see our laws out of step with that, we don't have to just submit and say, well, well you know, we're, I mean, I'm not saying to break the laws, but we can speak into the system and say, hey, let's change this. Let's align this more with what we believe God's heart is. And this is what motivates me in the public space, is that I bring my Christianity to everything I do. And when I speak anywhere, you know, if uh, the article that I wrote for the New York Times on the death penalty case in Alabama, I quoted Scripture. And they said, okay. You know, it's like, I mean, if you don't want me to, you know, to I'll just say what I think... Um, you know, you can ask me not to be there, but I'm going to come and I'm going to bring, you know, all that I am. And and I find that when you're not trying to force that on people, but you're actually just witnessing and testifying, it's a lot more accepted than we think. That's what this can be, too. We can speak into this system, not that you take Old Testament laws and lay them over America and say, well, because Leviticus says this, that America has to do this. But for Christians who believe the Bible is true, we can see those laws and we can see what the Bible says and say, well, that reveals the character of God. That's the heart of God. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to body that character. So when I speak in the public space, I want to speak from that place, not to control, not to dominate, but to witness to the kingdom of God. And so, you know, with whatever influence I have, I want children to be treated well. I want families to be treated well. And I want there to be a way for things to be made right. And if there isn't, let's fix it, you know. So the, you know that's how I think we can witness into this. Considering all these things that are happening, holding intention, we need border security. We need the rule of law. We don't want people to break the law. We don't want people who are dangerous to come. That type of thing. Understanding our history of, of a lot of these immigration laws and asylum laws. Um, you know, then we have the whole 1965 uh, thing where laws changed, where we recognize that a lot of our immigration laws were based on on racial distinctions and countries of origin that we were just trying to get Northern Europeans to come. Um, whenever Trump says that he wants uh, people. From Scandinavia to come, he's appealing back to pre-1965 when we recognize, hey, these laws are pretty racist, you know, and Jeff Sessions has done the same thing. Uh, you know, when he was a senator, he appealed uh, uh, to the immigration laws of 1924. So that's what we should go back to. Well, those laws were put in, per- in place not to just control the flow of people, but from a white supremacy perspective. I and mean, that's very well established that that was the motivation for that. Not that Sessions is promoting white supremacy per se, but like, I think a lot of times we don't understand our history and how things developed and why they developed and why they were corrected. And just say, well, that was wrong. Well, actually, study, you know, the whole story. Our asylum laws exist for a reason because we made massive mistakes in World War II. Now, can they be altered? Yes. Can they be changed to fit current realities? Absolutely, but that has to go through a process, which is Congress. And you can't just say, "Well, I don't like them and they don't fit reality, so we're going to ignore them." You actually have to go through the proper constitutional process, and that's what our country is based on. So,
0: so what do you say to people who uh, make the argument? Just so I can push back a little bit, of saying, "Well, all right, you're making all this argument about Christianity and and you know the God of the Bible and applying you know these values to the public kind of square," uh, but you know we didn't elect a preacher. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard that with. Donald Trump, you know, mm-hmm. that point that's being made. Ironically, though, it's not being made by the people who made the argument back like in the 80s and 90s that were liberal, that say, you know, we don't want religion in the public square. We're not electing uh-huh. pastors. Uh, it's not being made by liberals. It's being made by conservatives. You know, it's being made by Jerry Falwell Jr. or Robert Jeffers or pastors out there that are saying, you know, oh, we didn't elect a pastor. We elected a president and a, you know, real estate mogul or whatever. Um, but people who push back on that and say, all right, this is all fine and well, but, you know, there are real realities. There are political realities out there that you know. Um, yeah, I know what the Bible says, and and there's you know uh, what you're quoting, but uh, we we want to be safe. You know, we want our society to be safe, and we didn't elect a pastor, and we want him to you know uh, protect us from whatever's coming—the army of of dark people. So, I mean, what what's your uh, what's your
1: kind of how do you help Christians think? Through yeah, that? so there are a lot of presuppos- uh, presuppositions there, right? I mean. You know, I mean, Robert Jefferson he says this all the time every time he comes on Fox News that, um, you know, we didn't elect a Sunday school teacher. We elected a president whose who's mandate, whose God-given mandate is to protect our country. Well, okay, that's fine, but but you're saying that, you know, the woman and her child fleeing— you know, her husband who was who was beating her and she couldn't go to the police. And, you know, I mean, the child was threatened to be, you know, the little girl was threatened to be taken by the cartels and used or, or her son has already been killed because he, you know, I mean, like these are real stories. And so when you're saying these people can't come and his job is to protect us. I mean, you're working from a presumption that, that those people are a threat. Well, what makes them a threat? I mean, we need to unpack this, right? We need to actually consider what's being said. And how does Robert Jeffress or Jerry Falwell Jr. or any of the evangelicals who are making the claim that you said, how do they know what's best you know, for our country? Um, God says this is a heart you should have towards these people. And they're saying, yeah, but we have to have security. Well, what does security actually look like? Obviously, it's terrorists. Obviously, it's people who are coming as a threat. But why are you lumping these vulnerable people in with that? This was the whole refugee, uh, Syrian refugee argument back a few years ago. We can't have Syrian refugees come because they could be terrorists. Well, a refugee, by definition, is someone fleeing terror, right? So let's do a little work. Let's figure out who these people really are. And if they're victims of violence, why would we not welcome them in? And so, you know, I would say that. Um, and what i'm saying uh, and this is for christians you know this is the heart of 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 following christ is that you love god and, uh, and you love your neighbor um, america doesn't have to listen to that now i'm not promoting like a theocratic perspective i'm saying this is our you know this is our public witness so our position as salt and light you know salt seasons and preserves and light illuminates Our job is to illuminate and to season and to preserve the Christian witness in our nation, and when we speak to these things, we say, this is what we believe is true, this is what motivates us, this is what we would like to see happen. Now, we can be disagreed with, and America might say no. But the people saying no to the heart of God shouldn't be evangelicals who are saying, yeah, but... We have to have security. Yeah, that's the job of the state, but as the state secures our borders, let's think about the vulnerable people that are coming to us asking for help, and let's try to consider that from a Christian perspective, and let that be our witness, and if it's rejected by a secular society or a society that doesn't want to follow what God says, that's that society's choice, but let's not muddle our witness by trying to figure out all the final outcomes and make sure that they're... Um, you know, determined ahead of time. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. No, I think that's that's a valuable perspective to have. And I think um, I appreciate you, like, kind of teasing out the nuance. I mean, one of the things that I, you know, Providence prides itself on, it's our kind of governing mission is to uh, equip the American mind to engage the real world. And so we take long... Long form uh, interviews like this. We take long articles in our journal, and then commentary on our website to try and tease some of this out. Because I think it is the job of Christians to look at what the world would call simple and say, "No, it's not. This is not quite simple. There are nuances here." Uh, because the news and the headlines and the narratives that we're reading are existing in a larger narrative, and we've got to we're the we're the bridge between that larger narrative. And uh, what happens in the everyday. And that's that bridge that was made possible through Christ and made possible through us. Like we're the ones I think that are supposed to be speaking into that and saying, uh, no, a little bit of nuance is not bad because it's in that nuance that, that you know, rejects kind of simplicity that, um, that we can find uh, salvation. I think that, that society can actually be changed and transformed. So no, I appreciate your perspective. We've been speaking to uh, Alan Cross, who is the author of When Heaven and Earth Collide, Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and the Better Way of Jesus. Uh, You can follow him at Alan L. Cross on Twitter and uh, read him in the New York Times. Alan, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks, Drew. Good to
0: be with you. Thank you for listening to The Provcast, a regular podcast of Providence, a journal of Christianity and American foreign policy. You can find us online at ProvidenceMag.com, follow us on Twitter at ProvMagazine, and download this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.